Well, hey, New City. This is Nate Claiborne. I'm here today with Benjamin Kant. How are we doing, Ben? Nate, doing well. Looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, it's been a while. We, we've uh, we've wandered to and fro, and we haven't synced up for a podcast. And we're actually going to start trying something different. I don't know that we're going to completely do away with our How to Read the Bible CBR recaps, but um, while we've been having this emphasis on common rhythm, you and I were talking, we decided it would be a good idea to do little mini episodes on each practice. Mm-hmm. So these are complementary to the how I practice common rhythms, which is more of an interview with a set person. So for these episodes, I'm going to interview you mm-hmm. about the individual practices. Is yeah. there something else you want to add to kind of what we're trying to do here? Yeah, I think uh, one of the ways in which we want to help with the common rhythm is we, we call it coaching. And uh, that's one of the five C's. Um, and coaching really is having people come alongside us and, and help us to deepen these practices into habits of love. And so I know that our congregants have taken up the common rhythm really well. I've heard from a lot of them. and But I also know that all of us are like, hey, I want to deepen this into ways in which it's it's really adding value, not just to my life, but to those around me. And so that's one of the reasons we want to make this happen. Okay. Well, that sounds good. So that we're going to just start with one of the practices and we decided on... Feasting. Feasting. Yeah. So feasting is a practice. It's a weekly practice of eating a meal with and for others. And so it's in the, it's in the category of uh, embracing for the love of our neighbor. Um, and so a reminder that, that we've got resisting and embracing love of God, love of neighbor. And so this is, um, this is embracing what's good about creation. Food is a pervasive theme in scripture. So, so we'll start with why feasting? Why is that such an important practice? Mm-hmm. Well, it's hard to find a page in, in scripture that doesn't talk about food on it somewhere. Um, whether it's the sacrificial feasts uh, uh, in the Old Testament where this burnt offering was being offered up and then the priests ate the meat. Uh, and so uh, you can correct me, but so did the, uh, the worshipers, mm-hmm. if I remember. Yeah. Um, and so there was ways in which feasting has been a part of worship all along. Um, and then even, you know, Psalm 23, one of the people's favorite Psalms is really a, the first half is mostly recognized as the Psalm of a shepherd about a shepherd, God as shepherd, right? But the second half is God as host. God is throwing a party, a feast. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Mm. And so this, this emphasis of feasting, uh, comes to a climax in Jesus's life and ministry. Um, many of us are, are familiar with the prodigal son story, right, that we find in Luke 15. Um, and some of us might be less familiar with what, what precipitates Jesus telling that parable. Well, Luke 15, 1 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So one of the reasons, among many, why the Pharisees and the scribes were so angry with Jesus was that he opened up a table. He was willing to eat with the unworthy. Mm -hmm. And so it's actually kind of inherent to the gospel uh, that we are a people that gathers around a table with with the unworthy. We do it every Sunday at New City. We call it the Lord's Supper, Mm -hmm. which truly was a meal. (laughs) Yeah, Um, Jesus ate that meal with his disciples on, on the Passover feast. Yeah, it's interesting that you, you kind of forget about it if you're familiar with the gospel stories, but especially through Luke and Acts, there's a very strong theme of Jesus's meals. Yeah. Things happening around meals, people he eats with, people he's uh, having conversations with, and who you ate a meal with was 
a very significant thing in that culture at that time. That's right. It still is, but yeah. I think we just don't think about it as much. Yeah, that's so true. Well, and you, to your point in Acts, right, you've got um, the situation with Peter where the where the sheet comes down in the vision. I think it's Acts 10 with Cornelius comes. Mm-hmm. And, and the whole vision is, hey, Peter, kill and eat. And he's like, I don't eat unclean animals. And God's like, well, these are clean for you now. And also there's somebody who's coming that you need to share the gospel with. Allah, the Gentile, who's no longer unclean either. Um, And then that shows up in the book of Galatians, uh, where Paul confronts Peter to his face. Why? Because he was not not living in accordance with the gospel. Like he stood condemned, Paul said, because the the implication of the gospel was that Peter ought to share table fellowship with the Mm non-Jews. And he was pulling back from that because he was afraid of these Judaizers that were coming in saying, hey, those Gentiles are unclean. Paul said he was he stood condemned. I don't know what that means, but it sounds pretty bad. And so the gospel has an implication that is that we would feast with others, that we would eat with them. Yeah. And so uh, one of the my f- most compelling things there's a book called uh, something like A Meal with Jesus by Tim Chester, I think it mm-hmm. is. Yep. And in there he makes this great argument. He says, "What was Jesus? Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come?" And he says, "We should take Jesus's words. Jesus tells us his mission statement: the Son of Man came." Not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's a really important purpose statement for why Jesus came. He also tells us the Son of Man came not for the for the righteous, but for sinners. Not for the healthy, but for the sick. To seek and to save the lost. Those are the mission statements for why Jesus came. But then he points out, but then Jesus has a method statement. And that is when he says the Son of Man came eating and drinking. So Jesus functionally ate and drank his way to the cross. Um, it, it, was, it was a staple of the way that he did ministry, where he is opening up the kingdom of God, making it accessible to the poor in spirit, to those who are to, to those who mourn, to those who are outcasts in many ways. Now Jesus is saying, hey, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's, it's drawn near to you, and it's drawn near over the course of a meal at a table. And so that's why we feast. That's why it's such an important practice for us. Yeah. Well, that's great. So covering the why, we've also sort of touched on the what to some extent. I mean, so just for listeners, as we move through these practices, we're going to just follow a simple outline of why do we do this practice? What really is involved in it? How are some ways you can go about practicing it? Mm-hmm. With feasting, it feels a little more straightforward. It's, oh, it's eating. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but what else can we say about the what of this practice? What what counts, what doesn't count maybe? Or mm-hmm. we don't want to nickel and dime and make it too you know rigid, but at the same time, there's a big difference between sharing a meal with someone and getting together at Starbucks over coffee. Mm-hmm. You may be doing a lot of the same things, having the same conversation, but one of them is feasting, one of them is not. Yeah. Yeah. I would say the biggest difference in this would be intentionality. So we say that feasting is eating a meal with and for others. So I'm, I'm actively trying to love other people through eating with them through the course of this meal. So there's lots of ways of doing that for sure. And I would say for some people, feasting practice might start with their roommates mm-hmm. around a table together. Feasting practice might start with uh, a husband and wife and their kids and being intentional about that meal in a way that they aren't otherwise. Maybe maybe families don't eat a meal together once in the week. And so you're saying, hey, we're, we're going to make it a staple. Every Wednesday night, we eat dinner together. Or every Sunday afternoon, we have lunch together as a family. That would, that's the I think that's a great place to start. Yeah. Um, it, because there's something about a family meal 
whether you're biologically related or related in Jesus, uh, that that really is is important. Mm-hmm. The other thing I would say is that there's there's three meals in a day, seven meals in a week. So you could totally do this over breakfast. <laughs> you could totally do this over lunch with a coworker. You could do this in the evening at dinner. You can you could do this by dining in or by dining out. You can do like there's there's so much flexibility with this. It's just it's the intentionality to say, hey, of my 21 meals this week. I want to set aside one of them that I'm I'm moving towards somebody with the effort and the intentionality it takes to love them. I'm meeting it with them for sure, but you do that with anybody you eat a meal with. Mm-hmm. But I'm also doing it for them. I want to be intentional about doing this, eating this meal for the sake of other people because I'm loving my neighbor through this meal. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's good good clarification. So it's it is meal based. It's not just hang out and get together, drinks or coffee or whatever. Um, and that we're you're doing it for another person. Mm -hmm. I like what you brought up about uh, families and roommates and maybe a general principle we could throw out there is that you're, we're kind of following, I'm stumbling over my words here, but let me think how to set this up better. We've been talking about Luke and Acts. There's a movement through Acts where ministry happens in Jerusalem and then in broader Judea and then in Samaria and then to the ends of the earth Mm -hmm. by the time we get to the end of the book. And that's the outline Jesus gives them in the Ascension in Acts Mm 1, 8. Uh, but I think that gives us a good general principle for some of these practices of your first responsibility is probably connecting in what is your Jerusalem. And so mm-hmm. if we if we shrink the paradigm, Jerusalem would be the people you spend the most time with. Like, That's right. There should probably be, you should practice this feasting, uh, practice with those people first. It, yeah. it doesn't, it's not ideal if you're using it to connect with coworkers, but you're disconnected from your roommates. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's not necessarily... We're not going to bind people's consciences and say, you have to do it this way, but not that way. But starting starting in the closest circle first and then mm-hmm. moving outward from there. Because like you say, you do have 21 meals a week, so it's not as if you can only do it once. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, that's very it's true. It's at least once. Yeah. Well, and I like what you named, and this maybe even gets us into the how, um, is that you can have kind of concentric circles of people that you might do this with. So the innermost circle is going to be your your family, your roommates, the people that, again, your Jerusalem, if you will. The, the next outer circle um, beyond that one would probably be people within New City, people within your, your church community. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, so, and I would even angle that to say maybe the, the next circle out would be people within New City who are not connected to gospel community, who maybe you just met this Sunday at worship. Maybe you know of them, but you're not really super connected with them. Like you can practice hospitality towards people on the inside as well as on the outside. And so maybe the outermost circle would be um, people who don't know Jesus yet, mm-hmm. uh, people who are not yet disciples of Jesus. And, and so they could be a coworker or a neighbor or somebody you, you know, have recreational activities with or a family member even. Or, um, and so I would say that those are maybe concentric circles of ways in which this practice could work itself out. Um, who are you going to actually feast with is, a, is an important question. Um, in our checklist, uh, so when we when we released the common rhythm, we created a checklist for each practice, and so I think it's really a, a, a good way to work out the how. So the point one of the under the checklist is plan the day and the time of your meal. That's just important. Like it, I know people that do Taco Tuesdays at Tijuana Flats every single Tuesday night, and they've begun to know the the waitresses and the cashiers and the cooks, like these people at Tijuana Flats to where they know them by name, they know their order. Um, and they do a family meal there, 
but they are intentional towards the people that are working there. And that's, a, I think, an incredible way to do this practice. Mm-hmm. Um, I know of other people, plenty of people who um, do Sundays after worship because you're already kind of connected. You're already there. And they actually, I know some people that called it Stranger Sundays where they would intentionally look, look for somebody that they didn't know during worship and they would prepare They'd planned that the day and time of their meal was going to be Sunday afternoon for lunch. And they would prepare ahead of time to invite somebody. They didn't know who, but that person, then they'd go up to me like, hey, we've got room for lunch. Would you want to join us for lunch? And it was a really fruitful way to feast with other people. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that kind of opens up two approaches. One is you're you're mapping, you're definitely mapping out when this is going to happen. Mm Mm-hmm. But the, the kind of diverges of you can plan it for a slot in your schedule each week and then the person fluctuates mm-hmm. or the person is the primary individual. So if it's a family or roommate, then you're like, you're really going to center it around the person and maybe week to week you fluctuate which meal it is. Yeah. So you could, either one could take priority. It sounds mm-hmm. like. Yeah. I think that's good to name that. Um, I think of, uh, there's, there's three women in our church who have, a, I think, an incredible way of doing this. Um, they call it fourth chair. So the three of them are roommates. They've got four chairs at their dining room table and they've all got variable schedules. So none of them works a nine to five. Uh, maybe one of them does. So they've got to really work together and be intentional about, okay, oh, Thursday night is the only night this week we've got available. They call it fourth chair. So they open, they figure out who are we going to invite to fill that fourth chair? I love that. It's such a creative application of this. Yeah. Um, there's another couple who's uh, the the husband is in residency at uh, UCF Medical, or I'm sorry, with one of the hospitals in the area, and uh, and so they actually moved near the hospital because they wanted to create a hospitality environment, which is actually from the same root word as hospital, mm-hmm. uh, a hospitality environment where they could invite other residents over to share a meal with them because a home-cooked meal really matters when you're burning the candle at both ends. Yeah. I love the intentionality behind that. It's so, so important. And so planning the day or time or planning the people, those actually could be interchangeable. And then the next step is to invite other people. We've already talked about concentric circles of people you might invite to join you. And I'd recommend praying. Pray before the meal. Pray for the time together. Pray during the meal. I know that might be awkward if you've got random people that don't know Jesus. Just be like, hey, something we do is we pray before our meals because we recognize like everything is a gift from God, including this food and time with you as our friends. But can we pray? Um, pray after the meal for the person, for the time. Um, one of the things that I would really encourage people to do if they can is provide or pay for the meal. It's such a blessing when I show up somewhere and I'm not having to cook or if I go out to eat somewhere and somebody's like, hey, I, I, I got this. It, it, like, even if I've got the financial means to cover my meal, there's just something really kind about giving the gift of, of covering somebody's meal, whether you're providing it or paying for it. Yeah. Um, another way that Alana and I, we, we actually love doing this. If we've known you for 10 years or if we've known you for 10 minutes and you come over our house for a meal, we always do the same practice, which is we've got a, a mason jar with probably a dozen, maybe 20 uh, questions written on little note cards folded in half and we pass the jar around everybody pulls a question out and I usually start us off and I read my question and everybody answers everybody's question so gotcha. my question an example I mean they're they're pretty like low bar questions one of them was um, hey if you had 10 grand and you couldn't give it to charity what would you do with it uh, another one is is like describe your ideal day uh, another one which gets a little deeper is what's one thing you learned from your mom or your dad that like a wisdom or something like that. 
And so we go around and everybody answers everybody's question. And it's just, it's really good fodder for conversation that you wouldn't have otherwise. And you learn like, oh, I really want to go to Iceland. And they're like, oh, we went there for our honeymoon. You're like, what? That's crazy, right? So things like that it just helps with conversation over the course of a meal. Yeah. I feel like that's, that's maybe another element to <clears throat> layer on top of it. And as you're explaining it, it makes me think that alleviates a lot of the burden if you feel like you're going into something with someone you don't know. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're taking the plan of, we're just going to invite someone at church and we don't know who it is, it's going to be someone we don't really know, having something like that in your back pocket, maybe literally, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it means that you can go into the conversation and you don't know where things are going to go, but it's less on you to have to figure out how to steer the ship, so to speak. Yeah. Whereas if you're doing this practice with someone that you're already fairly close to or already know well, but are trying to be more intentional with, mm-hmm. there's less of a thought necessarily about what, what are we going to actually talk about? It's like, well, it'll just happen. We, we know each other, so we'll, we'll get there. That's right. Not to say you couldn't do the practice with them too. Mm-hmm. Like you said, 10 minutes or 10 years. But yeah. in my mind, I'm, I think through it of like, well, I like having things figured out ahead of time. The more things figured out ahead of time, the better. Certainly. Well, and I'm an uber extrovert and I'm a pretty assertive person. So it's not hard for me to walk into a room of people and just like walk up to people and start talking. Um, and so I know that that's not most people. And so having questions prepared beforehand to where I don't have to carry the conversation is really kind of takes the anxiety off. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so last few things I would name that I think is important is one, do this with people you do know and care about and love if you're inviting somebody random over. Like, I think it's so enjoyable when I'm with maybe a couple that I don't know super well, and it's my wife and I, and then we invite maybe um, some of our other really close friends. So, like, there's six of you, and the dynamic just is totally different than just like a kind of a one-on-one or a two-on-two. Mm-hmm. Um, you're welcome to do that. Feast together. It's really, really enjoyable that way. And then the other thing I want to name is um, we have some incredibly gifted, hospitable, hospitable people at New City. And I could, if you want to ask me, like shoot me an email, like who are these people? I will happily tell you. And I think most of them, because they're so hospitable, would say, hey, come over and watch me how I do it. Like, let me do it with you as the recipient and you'll mm-hmm. see what it looks like. And in that, I would say the, the kind of maybe flip side of that is this is very ordinary. You don't have to, you're not entertaining. You're not having, we call it a feast, but I joke, like, you don't have to have a cornucopia in the middle of your dining room table. Yeah. You could literally create, like, chicken noodle soup. Mm-hmm. You could do a stew in a crock pot. You could do beans and rice. You could do something very inexpensive, very low-hanging fruit to create. Um, it doesn't have to be elaborate. What really matters is that you're doing it with and for other people, that there's intentionality. You don't even have to clean your house. I know that that's like some people might not be able to get themselves to do that. But, mm-hmm. but if, if given the choice between going home lonely or being invited to a, a messy house for a meal, I think most people would choose a messy house for a meal over being lonely by themselves any day of the week. Yeah. And those people exist in droves, not just in our church, but in our world. Loneliness is an epidemic societally right now. And so maybe feasting is, is the cure. Yeah. Well, Ben, this has been a great chance to talk through this practice together. I think we've covered a lot of ground. We've gotten into the why, we've gotten into the how, we've gotten into some of the the details of the what. Um, And so I'll look forward to whatever practice we're going to talk about next time. Yeah, thanks, Nate. I'm looking forward to it as well.